Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Linda Anderson with Boulder Bay Realty Group in Valparaiso, Indiana. Last year, she closed 165 transactions with a total sales volume of $27 million. Her average sales price was $168,000, of which 42% were buyers and 58% were sellers. She has an eight-member team, three buyer specialists, one listing specialist, one showing specialist, one closing manager, one marketing director, and one team leader. Linda Anderson is the team leader of the Linda Anderson team. She's been an agent for 25 years. She's sold over 2,400 homes in her career. In this call, Linda talks about how she started in real estate to help her sister, working in a rural market in a small town of 32,000 people. Her small 168-person advocate group that sent her 85 closed referrals last year and resulted in 51% of her business. Her client appreciation events, including a fireworks show and a movie day. Creating happy birthday and happy home anniversary videos. How she generates 74% of her business by repeating referrals from her past clients and sphere of influence. How she sends mass text messages and sly voice messages what she's doing to convert 2.5% of her internet leads into closings, the marketing method that has a 22 to 1 ROI. For every $1 she invests, she gets $22 back. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Linda. Hi. Thank you, Mike. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us today. Linda, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you were doing before you got into real estate. I worked 16 years for a gas and electric company. I was a customer service rep. Little did I know that the 16 years working there would help me immensely in my real estate career on giving superior, excellent service to our clients. So I was very thankful to my previous employer for just learning the basics. You were there for 16 years. That's, that's quite a while. What made you decide to get in their real estate? I didn't. I, it just happened. Uh, I, 16 years, I worked at, for the light and gas company. Like I said, I made a very, very good income. I had four weeks vacation benefits, Monday through Friday, had the weekends off, and I had no intentions, no, no desire to get into real estate. My sister was going through a divorce and needed to get a career, so she signed up for a real estate course, and I just wanted to be there by her side, just supporting her and loving her. So I took the course with her and said, okay, I'll do it. Be there by your side. 
took the course, passed the test, and then she joined a major franchise and said, you know, we just work part-time with me. Well, I wanted to be there for her. I wanted to be that support. It was a rough time in her life. So I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, I'll work weekends and, and see what happens. And before you knew it, I fell in love with the business, which made it harder to be where I was at. So I worked two years part-time, had a very, very slow start. My first listing, I had to beg, I mean, literally beg my grandma to list her home. <laughs> she, she said, no, I was new. So I sent my dad over to have him put some pressure. And that's how I got my first listing. But um, I started off slow, but I, I wasn't in it for real estate. I was in it to be there for my sister and support her. And I just fell in love with it. And before I knew it, more people started coming to me to buy or sell. So my sister and I made an arrangement. She was doing it full time. So she took care of them during the week and weekdays. And I took care of them nights and weekends for the people that I personally brought in. And then she took care of her business. Soon after, well, not soon, two years was kind of a slow start. But after two years, I had to make a decision because I had too much. I couldn't handle it. And I said, whoa, you know, I really like this. I like what I'm doing. I like being able to take care of people, create a business. And I just wanted to do it more and more. But who would give up a guaranteed income, benefits, vacation, four weeks vacation, who would give that up? So I just, I couldn't do it. Finally, finally, it came to the point where I said, this is not me. This, they were very good to me. I was very thankful to have that opportunity, but I just couldn't do it anymore. So I gave my two-week notice to work in an industry not knowing what I would get paid without benefits and no vacation. I was so excited, so excited, and my career after I left my full-time career took off, and it just kept growing each year. The third year when you went full-time, were you able to make up the income that you were leaving behind from your prior job? No, I wasn't. Um, I, I made a very, very good income. No, the third year I wasn't even making half. But there was something, it was in my blood, Mike, it was just in my blood. And I said, I will do this without the pay. I love it. And it took probably about five years before I said, okay, I can, I can take care of myself. That was really a leap of faith. Did you do that with your sister at the same time? Has your sister continued in the business with you for all the time that you've been in real estate? No, no. Um, my sister ended up working for another company, and she is now a vice president of the title company that we close with. So we're kind of together, but not both agents. How long have you been in the business, Linda? How long have you been in real estate? Since 1990, so 25 years. How many homes did you sell last year? We sold 165. Yeah, I'm excited about that. We, we, I look at it as 
we helped 165 people, and I'm so excited to, that they gave us that opportunity to help guide them. Lynn, did you recall the sales volume on the 165? Total sales volume was $27 million. How many homes have you sold in your career? Oh, in my total career, over 2,400 homes. That's a lot of families helped. That is, and that's a lot of years. <laughs> you know, I was just looking at that. It's That's averaging almost 100 homes a year. It is. It is. So, and like I said, after I left my full-time career and went to my full-time and part-time career in real estate, it just grew each year. Linda, tell us, where is Valparaiso, Indiana? Valparaiso, we also call that Valpo, is northwest Indiana. We're about an hour, hour and 15 minutes outside of Chicago. We're in this little town, about 32,000 people in my town. The county is about 137,000, so we cover a, a lot of dirt. Our territory is pretty widespread. How big is that territory? Well, we cover Porter County, Lake County, LaPorte County. So sometimes I might be 45 minutes out to maybe an hour out to one of my appointments. What kind of properties are you selling? Residential. So single family residential. Some are on like, I don't know what area you come from, but an acre is no big deal to us here. So platted subdivisions to small acreage. When you say small acreage, what does that mean? How many acres? Oh, one to five. Linda, could you please describe your current real estate market? Our personal average sales price was about 168000 and we're bumping it up a little bit this year. And we're in definitely in a seller's market. So we're starting to or have been experiencing multiple offers. That's good because we came from a market where we when the market crashed, a lot of short sales. So we're now definitely a seller's market. Your average day on the market now? Probably about 45, 60 days. Linda, do you have a, a niche or a specialization in your market? We are more of a general practitioner. We work all the residential properties. Our market, our town is so small. We don't have an abundance of just the condominium development. So we pretty much do residential in general. You're working in a, a rural market. Do you think that there is anything different between working in a, in a rural market where there's a lot of properties maybe spread apart versus uh, somebody who works in a big city with a, a higher density of population? You know, I really don't know, Mike, because I'm not in that market. But to me, growing a business, the business end of it, it doesn't matter if you're in from one end of the country to the other. Business is business. Providing exceptional service is the same everywhere. The majority of your business, 74% of your business is coming from past clients and sphere of influence. Let's talk a little bit about that. First of all, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Well, our database combined is probably about 2,500. And we have cleaned that out a little bit because before we just used to put everybody in there. And if you were an internet lead, everything went in there. Well, we're cleaning it out and saying past client sphere, 
internet, and we've probably trimmed that down to about 2,000 right now. So it was 2,500 and you brought it down to 2,000? Yes. Was that difficult getting rid of the 500? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. We had no idea where they came from. What criteria did you use to eliminate them? Well, the ones that we kept were past clients, our sphere of influence, people we know, people that have given us referrals, advocates, people we've um, done business with, but maybe not necessarily in real estate. They've been like our vendor, people that have called on home, signed calls, or internet leads. So those are the ones that we kept, people that we are servicing or have serviced or just have uh, knowledge of them. If you were to look at your database, how many do you think are past clients? 2,400. We have sold homes. But you know what, Mike? In the beginning of my career, I sold over 2,400. You'd think I'd have 2,400 in there. Huge, huge mistake that I did in the beginning of my career. I didn't keep anything. I didn't have a management system. I didn't know where my leads came from. I had no clue. So I have probably, in my beginning years, lost a good 800, maybe 1,000. I think that's very common that a lot of agents let that go, and myself included. So thank you for admitting to that. What made that change? Why did you change and start tracking and keeping a database of your past clients and sphere of influence? In the beginning, I really didn't get into it for a career. It was just to support my sister. So I was just floating along helping people. You needed to buy or sell, I'm here to help you. And then when I made the decision, this is my career. This is what I'm going to do. I still didn't get it, but I started thinking different. And then one day I said, wait, I'm spending all this money in marketing and I have no idea if I'm getting a return on it. So it just common sense told me I better track it. So what I did, I started keeping track where every lead came from. Where did it originate? And then I would calculate how much money I spent in that category to see the return on investment, the ROI. Well, I used to just advertise because a successful agent was there, so that's how they were successful, so I should probably advertise there. That's a good way to do business. It didn't work because those, <laughs> those avenues were not a good return on my investment at all. And so I just had this new mindset and said, wait a minute, these are commission dollars that that seller is paying and I owe it to them to be accountable to them to make sure that their commission dollars for marketing is working right. When I throw that dollar out, that phone better ring for them in the right place. So I started looking at it different and keeping track and our marketing changed, the way we did business changed, and it grew. How did you do the tracking what method did you use to track the source of the lead or the source of the business? Well, in the beginning, I wasn't making that much money. So it was on recipe cards. 
Well, now keep in mind, I've been in business 25 years, so we didn't have the internet when I first got on. So it was just a recipe card. You know, the call came in and I did a hash mark. And then it evolved to, I use Salesforce. Salesforce is a fantastic database, a CRM for us. We had used others previously and they were good, but as our team grew, we needed a more robust. So when the lead comes in, we fill out a lead sheet. It says the source, where did the source of business come from? That lead sheet gets entered into our Salesforce and we can boot up our Salesforce on our dashboard at a moment's notice. We know how many leads came in for the day, where they came in from, how many leads closed, so we can track the return on the investment for our clients. Is Salesforce specific to real estate agents or is it a generic CRM that you've adapted? Salesforce has the real estate section that is called property base that is for real estate. Have you just used it right out of the box, so to speak, or did you do any modifications to it to to make it work for your system? We did modifications. The other contact softwares, they were good. They were good. It's just as we grew, we needed something more. We needed more robust. When we got it, it was one of it was a painful, painful transition. Getting it set up anytime you're going into that beginning phase of setting up your system, it takes time. So it was not an easy transition, but we couldn't live without it today. How long do you think it took you to transition over to Salesforce? Our whole team working on it, it probably took us a good week to say, okay, we have our system set up, we have our action plans, everything's in place. Took about a good week. Linda, I want to go back for a minute and talk about your numbers. You said that your overall database is about 2,500. Maybe I missed it. How many of those do you think now are past clients if you, if you had to try to put your finger on it? Um, it was 2,500. We cut it down to 2,000. I would probably say, if I had to guess, about 80% are past clients' sphere of influence. So about 1,600 past clients and sphere of influence in that database. I would feel comfortable saying that. That generates about 74% of your business. So we're talking just something north of somewhere right around 120 closings last year from this database of 1,600. We had 123. You're right. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, I like to come at the numbers every once in a while. And if we do that, it's pretty close to, it's not quite, but it's close to one in 10. You're converting about one out of 10 in your database into a closing every year. That's pretty impressive. It is. It is. I'm, I'm very, very proud of the team for that. Let's talk about how you're achieving that. Let's talk about how you're staying in touch with your database, how you're staying in front of them. Could you walk through, let's say, your marketing plan to your past clients and sphere of influence over the course of the year? Sure. We've come to realize that our database is different personality types. So we try and reach in different ways. One way, we have their birthday. So each year, the team does this crazy video where we'll sing happy birthday, do fun stuff, and Every day on their birthday, they'll get happy birthday video from the whole team singing to them or doing crazy stuff. They like that. So that is one way. 
We also send a video wishing them happy home anniversary. So it's a little bit more of a personal touch. We will invite them. We have client appreciation parties once a year to where we, we've gone to the movies. We've had a fireworks show, a carnival, a night at the Memorial Opera House where they do a play. We closed down a spa one day and treated them to pedicure manicures. So that's more of a personal one-on-one touch. We do snail mail in the U.S. mail. We do emails, and we're starting to just do like a random text. So we're pretty high touch. Let's first go back to the video happy birthday that you send out. Is that happy birthday unique to that past client? Are you using their name in the video, or is it more of a generic happy birthday that one video could be sent out to everyone? It's the one video that could be sent out to everyone, but the message, the typed message to them is personal. We sit down as a team and record the videos once a year. You said they're a lot of fun and they're kind of wild and crazy? They are. They are. And our clients, they like it. They'll comment back. They'll say, I laugh so loud. You should be on America's Got Talent. Not really. (laughs) But um, they'll make comments like that and communicate. We also use jib-jab will send, it's free, we will send that out where you can take your face and put it on a cartoon character and it will dance. So it kind of shows the fun side of us as well. Jib jab. You said it puts your face on a cartoon character and so it's, it makes a little animated video? Right, right. And there's no cost for that. Oh, that's neat. Are you sending that out as part of the happy birthday or the happy anniversary, or is that separate, the jib-jab? It's separate. They'll get it for Valentine's Day or something, you know, outside of their birthday. You also mentioned that you have these client appreciation parties. How many client appreciation parties do you hold each year? We usually do one. We'll do one client appreciation party, and I forgot to mention this, Thanksgiving. We'll also have our past clients for that year, or our advocates come in for a pie to help them up with their Thanksgiving dinner. That Thanksgiving pie giveaway, that's separate from the party that you have each year? It is. It is. We do that um, one to two days before Thanksgiving. And this is my D-type personality. I thought, who's going to drive in to get a pie? Seriously? <laughs> I mean, just go to the store. It's a, you know, it, no, I wouldn't do it. And a couple of our team members were like, no, we need to do it. So I said, okay. I took their lead, and we will give away about 200 pies a year. And they are so excited to come in, thank us, and we get to catch up on their life and see where they're at. And it's a really good event. So I'm really glad that I listened to to our team on that. You're giving away 200 pies a year. This is happening at your office? Yes, happens at our office. And we shut down for the day to just say thank you and help them out with their dinner. How, uh, what day do you pick? So Thanksgiving's on a Thursday. Do you give it away that week and which day? We'll do Tuesday from, I think it's 11 o'clock to 7 p.m., and then we'll do Wednesday from 9 to 5. Oh, so you do it for two days? Yes, yes, sorry. Yes, two days. 
how do you get the word out that the Pi event is going to occur? We snail mail so that they can call in and say, I want a pecan, pumpkin, or apple. They get to pick their pie. So we mail, and we use Eventbrite. There is no cost for that. And then we use Sly Broadcast, where it will broadcast a voicemail to them, reminding them to pick up their pie. Sly Broadcast, that's basically where the system will dial out and leave a message on their voicemail without actually talking to them live. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. We want to make sure we get those 200 people called quickly. Do you leave that message? I do. I record it and then our marketing director sends it out. The snail mail, how many postcards do you send out? Just one or multiple cards to let them know about the event? We send out just one. Do you have an email that goes out as well? We do. We send the snail mail and the event break. Oh, the Eventbrite. Very good. So that goes, that sends an email. We do the snail mail. The Eventbrite is the email. And then the reminder is my voice on slide broadcast saying, hey, don't forget, it's whatever day and time and place. So you're making three contacts for this event. Right, right. The snail mail is inviting them. The Eventbrite is uh, in. Is that inviting them or confirming with it's them? It's also inviting because some of our database doesn't, they don't check their email as frequently and we keep track when the client confirms, how they confirm. Did they confirm on phone or did they confirm via email? And we're kind of 50-50 because we've, we've been debating on we should quit mailing in the U.S. mail. The cost is high. But how they're communicating with us is about 50-50. What was interesting to me, and I want to make sure I had this right, this Thanksgiving pie giveaway, you said you're giving it out to the past clients over the last year and also your advocates. So you're not offering this to your entire database? No, I would love to. Trust me, I would love to. But um, right now it's just that past year and advocates, yes. So you're getting almost everybody to come in then, it sounds like. If you're getting 200 pies and you sold 165 homes last year, is that true? Is almost everybody that you sold a home to coming in for the pie? It's probably about half because the other half, we have a huge advocate database. So probably half of them come and advocates are people that are our cheerleaders that give us business, mention our name. So these are like your raving fans. They are. They are. And these are people that have sent referrals to you? Right. Exactly. How many people are in that database? There is 168. You knew that number well. They must really be important to you. Well, it, it might have changed this week because it goes up, you know, but uh, last Monday it was 168. That's fabulous. So that's anybody who sent you a referral ever or just in the last year, or how does that work? Ever. Does that also include people who have repeated, they bought with you once, and then they buy or sell with you again? No. Our advocates, we just classify as you were our raving fan, cheerleader, and some advocates have given us numerous referrals. So there are 168 people that are out there being our cheerleaders. 
Do you do anything else special for your advocates? You you invite them to the pie giveaway, which is an exclusive group. Do you anything else that you do for the advocates that you don't do for just, say, your regular past clients and sphere of influence? You know, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't think of that till now. Our advocates also get invited to our client appreciation parties. And random, just random, it's like, hey, guys, let's, let's go, you know, shower on some advocates, some sunshine on some advocates. So Crystal, our, she's our showing specialist, but she's also our everything girl. Crystal went and got some potted plants and put some really cool burlap on them and a little stick just thinking of you today, have a great day. And dropped it off, I think, to 40 advocates, just random, you know. We said, okay, let's grab this town, the advocates that live in this town, and let's just go surprise and, you know, spoil them a little bit today. So we're starting to do random acts of kindness, and we're, I think we get so excited about that. Do you invite these advocates out to say a a one-on-one lunch or do you do a one-on-one drop by at their house? No, we don't. And funny you mention that because that's on my to-do list. (laughs) That is definitely on my to-do list. I would like a a closer touch with them. And Mike, we have said last year we're going to do it. And we just got so busy just taking care of the current business and taking care of what we had that I think we might have done two lunches last year. How about phone calls? Do you personally make phone calls to this advocate group? I do. I do. Every time an advocate gives us a referral, by law, we cannot pay them. You know, we cannot pay them for a referral because they're not licensed. But it's a big deal to me that they went out of their way to put their name on the line. So I make sure that I handwrite a note card and say, thank you, thank you. And I will call. And after the transaction closes, I will either call or write a note and say, you know, we got Mary Smith in the home and, you know, things are going well or we, she moved on if it was a buyer or a sale. I'll handwrite the card again to thank and let them know that they're important to us. And I do random calls just to how's their life, you know, to keep in touch with them. How often do you make the random calls? Do you try to call each one of them, say, once a year or once a quarter? Or do you have any kind of schedule set up? I go through the alphabet and they are. I just work through the alphabet through the year to make sure they're called once a year, and some of them are called more than once a year because they've given us the referral, so I want to thank them and then thank them when it closes. And there's a good handful. We're just in contact with them because they're they're in our life. They're in our world. What percentage of your business do you think has come from this 168 people in your advocate database? You know, I can tell you last year and years before, but at the beginning of my career, I didn't track a thing. It averages about past client sphere and referral average anywhere from 70 to 75% a year. Do you attribute the majority of that just to this smaller subset of advocates? 
Does that make sense? You've got this large database of 2,000 or so past clients in sphere of influence. I assume that's your 74%, but you got this smaller group of people, 168 advocates. Are they the ones generating the majority of the referrals? Okay, last year we had 85 referrals. So that gives me 51.5% came from that small group. Wow. So this small group of 168 people generated half of your business. They did. They did. And that's why you want to treat them so well is because they've proven that they're willing to go out of their way to send you business. Right. And there's, there's times, Mike, that you have to make a hard call to that advocate because that referral chose to do business with our competitor. So we're front and center with that advocate and we give them a call and we let them know that we don't want them to lose their trust or confidence in us. That advocate chose to do business with ABC XYZ and we make sure that that relationship stays strong and they appreciate that. It's not fun making that call, but they appreciate it. So you're following up with your advocate either way, whether you actually receive the referral and you start working together or the referred person goes somewhere else. Either way, you're doing a follow-up with your advocate and making sure that they're in the loop. Yes, absolutely. When you make the call to your advocate database, your advocate group, your raving fans, when you make that phone call, you said you call once, at least once throughout the year. How does that conversation go? What are you talking about? Do you ask them directly for a referral or are you talking more generically about them and their life? You know, Mike, I've never, ever asked for a referral. I just feel that if we work hard, we take care of what we have, they will refer to us. We don't say, who do you know, you know, that's buying or selling, give us five names. We just call, connect with them, what's going on in their life. And if we can be a part, real estate or non-real estate need, if we can be a part of helping them, we want to be that person. Let's talk about that client appreciation party. You said you've done several different types. What has been your most successful client appreciation party? Which of those events? The most successful was, I get so excited saying this, we had fireworks. We hired a local pyrotech, had a little mini carnival with bouncy, bouncy things and went to Oriental Trading and got little trinket gifts. So when the kids did the ring toss, everybody won. If you just played the game, you won. The kids had a blast. The parents felt great because they were in a safe area. They let their kids run wild. And um, that event went in the afternoon till after the fireworks. We had about 300, I think, 300 people. And our return, you know, it was it was a good return, but it was a hard, hard event. Setting up, breaking down all day, it was it was hard. But um, the return was real good. They loved it, talked about it for years. The next event that we did real good on was a movie event where we just rented two theater rooms, invited them, and let them bring a guest. 
so what they got to bring the guest and bragged about us. The guest was shocked. So we're just opening our exposure and they gave them popcorn and pop and the movie on us. That was a real easy event because we just basically showed up, gave them the tickets in the theater, took it from there. The fireworks show, you had a really good return on your investment. How much did the the fireworks show cost? How, How much does a big event like that cost? I can ballpark it because that was in 2003. So it was anywhere between... Fifteen and 17000 Wow, that was a pretty big investment. Now, you said you got a return on investment back. Do you, re- do you recall how much business came back into you because of the event? We did over $2 million in sales. So hold on. By our average sales price, we did probably, I would have to go back in my books to give you an accurate figure. But I would feel comfortable saying anywhere from forty to fifty thousand in gross close commissions. So it looks like you you might have got maybe one to three, got three times your money back out plus all the goodwill. Right, right. And now the movie night, I assume that wasn't as expensive. Do you recall how much that was? Yes, we just did it. It was twenty three hundred and we made thirty one thousand. That's more than ten to one. It is. It is. I assume you're going to do the movie again? We are. <laughs> we are. There's, I like fireworks. I'm a firework girl. Um, there is a greater return on the movies. Maybe you could put the fireworks up on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Now, was it the movie day or a movie night? And what kind of movie? Was it for the kids or the parents? It, we make sure we get a family movie. McFarland was the last one that we did. Really good movie. They came out with smiles and lifted up and feeling good afterwards. And two people, and then they get to invite two people. So one invite is good for four. Some will bring, depending, you know, on the person, some, it's just all adults that they bring. Some bring their kids. And how many people in total showed up? 208. uh, We were just under 300. So you had 300 people there, cost 2300 returned 31 Oh, the timing. How, how long after the event did you start to see that return where people were repeating or referring or business was coming back in and you could source it back to that movie? Well, when they were coming to the movie or leaving the movie, how I gauged it was they said, oh, so-and-so wants to move and so-and-so. So we were getting it right on the spot. Now... We didn't see the actual commissions till later, but we received the actual lead. Yeah, and then at the movie, to support a good cause, we have them bring in a canned good so that we can help the food pantry in town. Did you do any type of presentation to the folks that came in? Did you either speak to them before the movie, or did you have a table or a booth set up outside in the lobby? How did they know that it was you putting on the event at the event? Well, what we had a table for the canned goods for the local food drive. We had that. We had our agents at a table giving them their ticket for their free popcorn and pop. Right before the movie, we had a little video play saying, you're awesome, you're great, thank you, we appreciate you. 
And right before the movie, we spoke, not asking for business, just, you know, we're to go pink pitch cane. You know, thank you, and we hope you enjoy the movie. I assume it happened during an afternoon. What day and time was that? It was either one time we did a Saturday and one time we did a Sunday. We did the Sunday 2 or 3 o'clock, and we did the Saturday around 2 or 3. Did you rent out the theater just for your group, or were there other people there as well? There were other people there as well. There's 16 theaters, so we just rented out two two or three rooms. And we rented out two, I remember, because we had to go to the larger room. So we rented out two rooms, and other people were looking at it, going, wow, that's nice. There was two ladies that came in that wanted to see the movie McFarlane, and it wasn't showing then. So we were so excited to just say, come on, join us. You know, here's your free popcorn and pop on the, on the way. So Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Let's move on to a, another thing that you're doing here for your past clients and sphere of influence, and that is direct mail. How often are you mailing out and what are you sending? Direct mail, we don't do as much as we used to. We used to mail every 45 days, and it was something of value. Now we mail probably twice, oh no, our calendars. No, we mail three times a year. We mail calendars. We really work hard at mailing something of value rather than junk mail. We are currently working on a newsletter and our newsletter will have discounts at local vendors for them as well as recipes and helpful tips. So we hopefully should have that out next month. In the past, you said you've, you've mailed out things of value. What does that mean? W- w- give us an example of something that's a uh, mail-out that's something of value. Something of value, we mailed out the jar grippers. We've mailed out hand sanitizers, car fresheners, garbage bags for your car, ice scrapers. They always looked forward to our mail. You've reduced the amount of direct mail that you're sending out. How many uh, emails are you sending out then through the course of a year? Through the course of the year, a minimum of six every other month. What's in those emails? Well, one of the companies we use is Happy Grasshopper. And those are non-real estate. You can choose your topic and mail it. It uh, sometimes has videos on it. So we use Happy Grasshopper. Another week, prepare the email ourselves, and it's just tips or recipes, what's happening in the community. You mentioned also you're doing random text, text messages. What's happening there? Just random text message, thinking of you today. Enjoy your day. Just to let them know we're thinking of them and to just start a conversation with your advocates. So when I work through my it's not planned. I'll just have time in the day and say, okay, I'm going to start touching my advocates. 
So I'll pull up my advocate database and just send random texts to them to open up conversation. You call your your advocate database, do you call the rest of your database, the, the 2,000 people? And if so, how often and what do you talk about? Boy, I know we should. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you there's so much that we want to do and that we know by staying in touch with those clients, staying in high touch just grows your business. And... Honestly, Mike, it's on our wish list, but it's burning and nagging because we know we should be doing that. Well, it it sounds to me, let me just start adding some of this up. You're making three contacts a year by direct mail, six by email to your to your general database. So that's nine. Plus you're gonna send out at least two or so general invitations. For well, let me confirm that the the client appreciation party that's actually not going out to the entire database, or is it? Who's that going out to? No, the client appreciation goes out the same as our pies. It goes out to our past clients for that year and advocates. The reason that you limit that to just the past clients over the last year is that uh, budgetary? You're trying to keep down the cost, or is it that you found out the people over the course of the last year are the most likely to to refer or take action? Well, the reason why we invite the last year's clients is just to thank them. You know, thank you um, for allowing us to help you with your real estate. And advocates, they get invited to everything all the time. I was just curious. You, you have this large group of past clients. And it sounded like you want to continue to expand your business. So I was curious why you're not doing what's been super successful, which is going to these past clients and and maybe opening up and inviting more of them to the past client appreciation party as well as the pie giveaway. Have you considered that? Have you considered expanding who you're inviting and bringing in more of your past clients and sphere of influence? You know, I think I'm getting more out of this call than the listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow, how is it that something is so in front of you? And um, thank you. Thank you, Mike. I'm writing it down on my whiteboard as we speak that our movie will be all. Thank you. I'm excited. Thank you. I've heard it go both ways, and, and I was just curious if there was a reason why you had limited it. I guess it's something to experiment with and test and see if it opens up cells. It is. I am going to test that. Uh, We have not done it. And I'm always looking at that return on the investment. We, it wasn't at top of mind, but we will definitely, it's our next party easy decision. Yeah, and I, I don't typically you know make any kind of recommendations. The only other thought I have is I really like what you're doing with the advocate database, and I, I highly recommend you continue that. I mean, Thank so you. Don't get distracted from that. That's 51% of your business. Yeah, and you can interview me next year, and our numbers will be even way higher. I can't wait. (laughs) That's awesome. One other question here on past client and sphere of influence. You mentioned early in your career that you you kind of neglected that. You you didn't jump on it. Then you got more serious and you put it in place. For an agent who's in that position now, they've kind of neglected their past clients for the last three, four, five years, and they know they need to get into it. How can they 
turn that corner? What what do they need to do to to make it happen where they're actually now tracking and following up with their past clients and sphere of influence? Any advice to to get over that middle block of oh well you know I didn't do it before so it's probably too late. You just have to do it. So you eat an elephant one bite at a time. You just make your list. Get a contact management, get a database, put all this stuff in. It doesn't matter which software you use, just use it. Salesforce works for us. We didn't start there. It's just where we're at. We needed something more robust. Don't take time to figure out what, just get it. Enter your people in, tag where they came from. And if you can't remember, put miscellaneous, that's okay. Put where they came from and then set up a system and put it into action. Just, you know, do it step by step. But you have to, you have to do it. You can't not do it. Linda, you've got a couple other sources of business I'd like to chat about. Real quickly, I'd like to chat about your internet leads and find out what you're doing there. How are you generating internet leads? Internet leads, we generate through Commissions, Inc., and they have a website for us. The lead comes in. Our buyer specialists call them or text them. And just how can we help you? What are you looking for? On the internet leads, we closed 20 last year. That's about 12% of our business. Something that uh, we're working on kicking up. How heavily invested are you into Commissions, Inc.? What kind of cost are you looking at per month? How many leads are you getting out of that? And then what kind of conversion are you seeing? They're getting about 70 leads a month. It takes time to incubate them. We're finding that the leads that came in, sometimes we don't close them for 18, 24 months later, but they're in our corner. So it takes a while to build that that pool of leads up. Once It took us probably about four or five months to get a good pool so that we can just incubate them and walk them through the process of, you know, getting qualified. But internet leads, most, most are, they get online and browse for a while, you know, many, many months before they're considering purchasing a home. Our internet leads are mostly buyer leads. The seller leads are not as strong. You said about 70 leads a month. That's for your entire group. So maybe 850 or so a year. How long have you been with Commissions, Inc. and generating these leads? Commissions, Inc., probably about a year. Okay. And so does that sound about right? Your database is somewhere around 800 or so? Probably. And you've closed 20 of them. That's that's pretty good. Let's see. So that's... About a 2% conversion, 25 yeah, just over 2%. So maybe 2%, 3%. And my understanding of the internet leads world, that's actually a pretty good conversion, 2 to 3%. So, you know, most are around 1%. What are you doing that's different? What are you doing that's converting a, a little bit more than average? I have an amazing team. I can talk about them all day. Our buyer specialist, when the lead comes in, the sooner they call it, the better chance they have of converting it. And what I like about Commissions, Inc., also they can send mass text to several people all at once, send mass email. But, you know, the key is just it's hard work, Mike. They, they work really hard. 
They have call nights. They try and get the lead as soon as they can, and they just want to help them. They're hard workers. You say call nights. What is a call night? Tuesday night, they have just started implementing this, where Tuesday night they come in and call the leads that they were not able to contact. And last night, we had one agent, Austin, I think he turned in four or five leads. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what I'm hearing is that you're getting back to the folks quickly on the phone. You also have an automated system that's sending out emails and some mass texts. Exactly, exactly. When they first came onto the team, it's so funny to see a new agent because they have that call reluctance. Well, what do I say? What do I do? And you just have to get over that fear and you just have to do it. And the first couple calls might be kind of awkward. You don't know what to say or you say, I should have said this. But the more you do it, the better you'll get. So it's getting over that call reluctance. Do you give your agents scripts to use to get over that reluctance or is it just get on the phone and start talking? We use scripts and they practice and we put them to coaching which we would not be where we are at without our coach. And I kind of teary-eyed with that because they have brought us so far. And we, we coach with Sharfin, Alex Sharfin, just an amazing guy that has helped our net profit, has helped our systems, has helped the way we do business, and he's helped us get over that and just an amazing, amazing company. And I didn't coach at the beginning of my career. I didn't even know what coaching was. It is part of our budget. It's, it's part of doing business. It's a have to. You mentioned earlier, you track ROI, ROI on internet leads. Have you tracked that? We have. Yes. For every dollar, we spend, we get five back. So we get a five and one return. But I really think it's larger than that because that client now goes into my database and can give me referrals. So, but straight hard cost is a five and one return. I know you are also working on one other major lead generation source, and that is your IVR, interactive voice response, your 1-800 numbers. Could you tell us what you're doing with that program? Yes. The IVR, we have a little magazine in our area. It's called Homes and Lifestyles. It's really nothing special, black and white magazine, and you put a picture of the house and say, call 1-800, this extension, and we'll put our homes in there with an extension. IVR is a, it captures their phone number. So when the caller calls in, they call in, we get their phone number, call them back and say, what home can we price for you today? And we'll then help them with that home and take them, take them down the road, get them in for a buyer consultation and let's move forward. The IVR this is so sweet because it's minimal cost. You know, when I was a new agent, it's like, I can't afford this. I can't afford that. Spend money here. This is really a good place to get started. IVR, we go through ProQuest Technologies. So we have their cost and it depends on how many listings we're holding on how much we're spending. We usually spend about $120 on it a month 
Then we have our homes and lifestyles that prints every other week. We spend, we take one to two pages out every other week. So that's $135. So it's $250, if I added that right. It's $250 a month. If you close one a month, you've you've returned. You've gotten a high return. Last year, we closed 10%. We closed 17 homes. So 17 homes, about one and a half a month. He says costing you about $120 a month. That I got to guess that's a pretty good return. What do you think the ROI is on that? The ROI is sweet, sweet, sweet. It's 22. So every dollar, we get $22 back. 22 to 1. Yes, it's wonderful. And your IVR leads, they usually close sooner than an internet lead. They're, they're searching different. They're driving by the house. They're hitting the streets. And you're going, odds are you're going to close an IVR lead much sooner than an internet. So we love that. Wow, 22 to 1. So you put a dollar in, you're getting $22 back. That's a, that's a pretty strong investment. Now, where are those magazines going? Are, are they distributing them around and people just pick them up by, at the grocery store? Or are you putting those in your sign boxes? Uh, where are those uh, magazines going? Those magazines, they deliver them around the grocery stores. It's really a thin magazine. There's not many bells and whistles on it. And I thought, no, homes don't sell there. People don't call. They don't use it. And we started tracking the number of calls that we received. One month when we first started out with it, we were in the low 40s. We started, we tripled the calls. In the beginning, we used to put our ad and write a novel on the home and our through coaching, they said, no, 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 we're, we're doing it wrong. All you have to do is put basic information about the home with the 800 number, get the caller to call in so that you can have that communication with them. So we had to change the way we thought, the way we marketed, and it made a whole difference in our world. You made three times the number of calls just by changing the wording that you were using in the ad. You are you giving them less information. What information are you giving and what information are you not giving in those ads? We give the 800 number, of course, and the extension number. We'll give the town and three bullet points. We'll say Valparaiso, three bedrooms, acreage, immaculate. That's it. Ah, so no price. No price. No number of bedrooms or bathrooms. Sometimes. Sometimes we'll say four bedrooms, two baths, but we do like three bullet points. Three quick bullet points, no price. And do you say that in the ad, call to get the current price or something like that? We just say call the 800 number 24 hours a day. Sometimes a caller calls and they're like, well, what's the price? And it's like, well, we want to make sure that you got the current price. So, you know, we'll go into our scripting. Can you share with us that script? Sure. When the caller calls in, there are several ways that they can connect with you. So if they zero out, they hit the zero where they want to talk to a live person. If we get the call that way, we'll say, hi, this is Linda from the Linda Anderson team. What home may I price for you today? And then they'll give us the address or the extension number. And we'll say that home is located at 123 Main Street. 
it's priced at 168.8. Is that the price range you're looking at? And then we just take the call through. If they didn't zero out and we're calling them, then we'll call. We'll announce ourselves. Hi, I'm Linda from Linda Anderson team. I see you called on the house on 123 Main Street in Valpo. Is that the area you're looking at? And then just go through your scripting and take the call through. Linda, I want to move on to the next topic. You've mentioned this before. You've talked quite a bit about your team. Could you describe your your team to us? Sure. Um, first of all, my D-type personality, describe my team, rock star amazing. So they are amazing people. I have one closing manager that has been with me pretty much since we started the company. I used to be a franchise realtor in a, with a major franchise, opened up Boulder Bay in 2003, and she's been with me since then. We have one marketing director where she does all of our marketing, gets our ads in, makes us look good. We have one listing specialist. She does all of our listings, goes out, prices the homes, negotiates the contract. We have three buyer's agents. We have one showing specialist. Crystal, the buyer's agents get busy, so Crystal will kick in and show homes when they're double booked, and she does way more than that. She delivers stuff for us, random acts of kindness, and we have me. We are also adding three additional. We're adding two additional buyer specialists and a listing specialist so that we're currently eight and it'll take us to 11. And last year, were you at eight? Uh, No, last year we were at seven because last year we added Crystal as our showing specialist midstream. Compensation, our buyer specialists are on a 50-50 split. If they personally bring in the lead from their sphere of influence, there's no way we would have had this business. They get a 10% bonus. Our listing specialists have options. One, they are on a 25% flat commission of the total GCI that they close, or they can go on a recoverable draw. A recoverable draw, for instance, I'm going to use basic numbers. If we guarantee 1500 a month, and let's say they brought in 2000 that they were due on a 25% split. You know what? It's so hard for me to explain recoverable draw over the phone. Linda, can I ask some questions about recoverable draw? Yes. It sounds to me like they're getting a consistent income stream of, let's say, $1,500 per month. And then as they earn commission, that commission dollar goes against the $1,500. If there's money remaining, what happens to the money remaining? Let's say they brought in $2,000. They'd already drawn $15. There's $500 left over. Does that go into a pool or does that go out to them immediately? It goes out to them immediately. So they're basically getting a guaranteed income stream of X, and our example is 1500 so that they feel good, but they're probably going to earn more than that. We hope they're going to earn quite a bit more than that, and uh, as they earn that money, let's, say, let's give a better scenario. They go three months without having a closing for whatever reason. They've accumulated about 1500 times three or $4,500 in draw. The first $4,500 of commission has to pay back that draw, and then they receive the commission above that. 
Exactly, exactly. And that's a way to get them online quicker and more comfortable with the fact that they, they may not earn income for a month or two while they're learning the process. Exactly. And when I first set up the compensation plan for our buyer specialists and listing specialists, I thought 50, you know, 50%. I looked at the numbers, said, yes, that's good. And some agents are like, I'm not working for 50% or 25. Are you kidding me? I can go around the corner and get a bigger split. But once we showed them the benefits and the value of being on the team, all the support that they had, all the leads that they received, they don't question it. They say, I'll go on 50%, no problem, because their bottom line is larger. Absolutely. And they've got no costs, right? No, no cost. Their gas, cell phone, that's in their MLS dues. Sure. And if they were on their own, they would have all these expenses to generate the business. And instead, your team structure is absorbing those costs. Right. They would have expenses and no support. Or they'd have to pay for that additional support by hiring someone. Exactly. Having to do it that way a flat cost every month. I think you were getting to the compensation of a showing specialist. That's kind of a newer position. I'm sure people would like to hear about that. One thing that we always, and part of our company culture is, what can we do better? How can we better serve the client? And where do we need help to help them? Our buyer specialists were being double booked. They were ready to pull out their hair. They're like, I have three hot buyers at once and they all want to see a home at the same time. And that was happening quite a bit on our team. So we said, you know, we can have an ISA, inside sales associate, retrieve the calls and convert the leads, or we can have someone help show us homes. So we sat down with a little checklist on um, where do we need help first for the client. And that was a, a great need. So she Anytime they're double booked, she will go in and show. The clients love it because they don't have to wait. They're getting into that home. And she's an amazing, bubbly, full of energy person. So they have no problem being transferred from the buyer specialist to her. And she's just, she's amazing. She's very, very good at her job. And how do you compensate your showing specialist? Showing specialist is an hourly rate with, we pay her dues, we give her a gas allowance and a wage. So it comes out to about $14.80, $15 an hour. That is paid for by the agent or the team. The reason why the agent would pay it, we tell the agent, if you can close, she is here to increase your business. So if your business stays the same, then you will have to pay for the hours that you used her. If she increases your business to four units a month or 48 units a year, then the company will pay for her wages. Okay, so the agents are paying for her time out of their side of the commission if they're not showing an improvement in productivity, but if they're getting up to four closings per month on average, then the company takes over and pays for the showing assistant. Right, right. The agent just might want to use her for some downtime. 
then that's okay. You can use her services. How long has the showing specialist been with you? She's been with us for a couple years. We brought her in as admin and then saw a talent that she had in midstream last year, switched her over as a showing specialist. So she's been a showing specialist for about a year now. Are the agents utilizing her and paying for her services? They are utilizing her. It is increasing their business, so they are not having to pay for her services. So everybody's happy. They are. They are. And, you know, it was hard to bring her in because as an agent, you're like, ooh, I don't know if I can afford that. But you sometimes have to take that that chance, that risk. And I talked to our buyer's agents and I said, look, we need to leverage you. You are very, very good at what you do. You have an abundance of leads and you can't be 10 places at once. So let's figure out how to get you at two places at once. And hence, that created our position for our showing specialist. The showing specialist has to really do a good job of tracking her time and who she's working for, for billing to make sure that that goes out to the appropriate party. Exactly. She fills out a timesheet every day on how many hours she spent for each specialist. When you start to describe who is going to pay for her, I thought what you were going to say is that the showing specialist compensation will come off the top of the commission before the split, and that way both the team and the buyer agent are paying part of her compensation. But you went to productivity, which was really interesting. I I hadn't heard that, and it sounds like that's been working for you. It has, because we... We operate on return on investment. It's like, I'll bring her in. I want to pay her. I do. But I'm not going to bring in support if we don't see growth. So they're taking, you know, they're in on it with me. They have accountability as well saying, okay, I can use her. I can grow my business. And sometimes I'll use her to just drop off an earnest money check you know, get something off my plate, but she is brought into them to increase their business. Sort of their, their assistant, their, their helper. Yes, yes. Linda, you've talked several times about accountability. How have you created a culture of accountability on your team? Some agents, when you hear that word accountability, they're like, oh, I don't want it. Our agents ask for it. We have a sales tracker, our an accountability system, and it's on Google Docs. I, Mike, if anybody needs help, they, they can call me, email me. I will gladly share the documents. Um, they have a sales tracker, so each month it's their goal that they set, how many units they close, how mission income that they will bring in, how many CMAs they will do, how many calls they will do. It's all on a sales tracker on a goal that they set. They keep track of it. We're very transparent. The entire team sees all the agent sales trackers individually and combined. So we have an agent that wants to close four homes each week. We will meet. We will have our one-on-one. How are we doing? Is there anything that you need from the company to help you move your business forward? And what are your wins? 
so the accountability, they say, here's what I want to do. Here's what I need to move forward. We also have a weekly sheet. It should really be called daily sheet, but I don't know if we just named it weekly sheet, where they fill in their metrics daily, how many calls they made, how many people they connected with, how many note cards they wrote, how many offers they wrote, how many deals fell, so that we can help them grow in an area where they need the growth. We might have one agent that is very good at retrieving the call, converting it, but she lacks in the follow-up. And then we might have one agent that is really hard. It's hard for them to convert the call, but they're really good at follow-up. If we did not have those metrics, we wouldn't be able to help our buyer specialist or listing specialist be successful. So that's something I never have track of metrics. I just kind of, the business that came, I work. And the more metrics I have, I can help them grow in the area that they need rather than cookie cutter, this is what everybody does and how they do it. Everybody has strengths in different areas and they need help in a different area. So it helps us just zero in and focus in on where they need the help. Are you profitable? We are. If I could back up a little, though, this is what I found out. I I, I love the business. I was meant to be here because who would work for nothing when um, the market tanked? I not only worked for nothing, I had to loan the company money, and that was hard. But I couldn't not do it at that time. There were too many people losing their homes, and, and it was rough. But I'm very thankful that I had a reserve to pull us through. Right now, we are at an 18.6% profit as of last Monday. We looked at our P&Ls, our daily P&L, our monthly P&L, year over year. We look at it every single day. So we're at an 18.6. I would like to take it up to 20. Then when we get 20, I want to take it up 25 and then 30. So, yeah, we're at 18.6 right now. Linda, what drives you? What drives me is my family and my agents. I, I come from extremely humble beginnings, extremely humble. And I want to be able to do things for my family. I want them to see that there's so much. We are created, each and every one of us are created for so much more and to give back. What drives me is our clients being able to help them in stressful, good, happy, sad moments of their life and they're trusting us. That's a huge thing, placing their trust in us to help them move forward. That's what drives me. I take it serious when someone trusts me. What drives me is our agents, seeing them come in and so excited that they had that win, so excited that they had a breakthrough and broke through an obstacle, and just being able to give back. And I have some quotes that we're Americans, and it ends in I can, and we can do anything, anything. So that's what drives me. Linda, why have you been so successful? I have been so successful because I have been so blessed by 
the man up above. Um, hard work, focus, a lot of focus and determination and surrounding myself with some amazing, amazing team members that it is not my success, it is our success. Linda, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? What I would tell them to do first, I like quotes. Um, Your mind is like a garden and you need to keep it weeded and you need to feed it. So my fertilizer is my coaching. So I need to make sure I have that fertilizer and keep it weeded. Get rid of the negativity. You can break through so many barriers. Sit down and treat it like a business. Sit down, make your business plan. There is no no reason why you cannot succeed in this business. Just map out your plan and step-by-step, just put it into action. Stay focused. Don't be afraid. Fear probably stopped my growth quite a bit. I was afraid to do something, didn't know if it would work. Well, my competitors weren't doing it. I shouldn't. So get rid of the fear and just go for it. Track. Track your business. Um, put in a database. I didn't do that. And trying to regroup is hard. Track the money that you're spending. It's not your money either. It's your client's money that they trust you paying that commission to make sure you're marketing it correct. So make sure your return on your investment is good. Surround yourself with some amazing people that will lift you up. And always, always remain humble and grateful and thankful. I think if I, the first money that I think I would spend besides your basic marketing is probably on my coach. Linda, do you think that top agent interviews like this one with Mastermind Agent are valuable? They are very valuable. A while ago, my career came across Howard Brenton, and if any of you have been in his path, what a path to be in. And he had passed, and he had done some star power tapes of agents, just normal agents, how they did business. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get that, plug it into my car, because it was part of my growth. I really grew. And Mike, thank you so much, because I have missed that. Thank you so much for bringing that back. It is part of my doing business. It's my have to. It's my fertilizer to keep my mind, keep it weeded, get the fertilizer to keep it growing. It is so valuable. Very valuable. So thank you. Thank you for bringing it back. Well, Linda, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I wish you all the best year ever. And if there's anything I can personally do, feel free to shoot out an email, phone call, text, and it would be my pleasure to help you grow. Well, Linda, you built a great team based on systems and mutual respect. Your production grew when you ignored what all the other agents were doing and focused on your advocates, past clients, and sphere of influence. It's impressive and informative that 51% of your business comes from your advocates, 
your small group of 168 raving fans that resulted in 85 referred closings last year. You've proven it doesn't take a huge list to get huge results. It's more important to talk to the right people than a lot of people. By tracking your metrics, you've gained control over your business and set the stage for your future growth. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who had an average sales price last year of $3 million. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.